Zach, I think I'm just going to come out and say it. You say it, Cooper. We won. We won. Yeah. What do we win? So, Zach, you, myself, and one of our other roommates, who's actually now married, he moved out. Shout out Like Jonathan a week Linder. and a half ago. Jonathan nice. Linder. He's married. Uh, we all won as a team to be able to compete in the Red Bull Can You Make It Challenge. Now, Cooper, what is the Red Bull Can You Make It Challenge? I'm glad you asked, Zach, or else this podcast would have had nowhere to go. Of course. So I'm glad you asked. But essentially, this is a competition where we will, us three will go as a team and we will be tasked with the job of traveling across the continent of Europe Mm -hmm. using nothing but Red Bull as currency. So here's how it works. A lot of teams were selected. You you had to make a one minute intro video, an entry video, and then get votes so i think we got up to 1500 1600 votes yeah so thank you all who voted thank you if any of you voted yes and just for more statistics there's 198 teams worldwide 15 out of the united states and we're one of the 15 one of the 15 teams but continue on just just so you guys get it this is a big deal right so here's what's going to happen april of 2021 it's been pushed back because of the coronavirus and everything like that it was going to be this april then it was going to be wow that's kind of crazy to think about we would have been in europe like Like, next week literally next week that's crazy but around this time next year 20 2021 red bull is going to send cooper jonathan and myself to europe all for free paid yes all expense paid we're going to ride in a plane we're going to ride a plane for free all the way to europe so but what what happens though is when we get there they take our phones and wallets um which is minor details bummer that that's getting caught in the weeds you're right but they they drop us off at some point in in london or in, in Europe. In Europe. So there's, in Europe. there's different cities all right. throughout. And so there's, I think there's like seven different points. They haven't sent a ton of details yet because it's still a year away. Right. But it's like, um, I think Edinburgh is one of the right. possible places. Il- Barcelona is there's one of the punch. places. Italy's a country. Well, there's a probably <laughs> Paris. Okay, yeah, it's probably good. <laughs> anyway, but I think we're we're all traveling to Berlin. Yeah, Berlin Germany. is the final destination. It's like the hub. It's like a race. You, they drop you off somewhere. They take your phones and wallets, but they give you a case of Red Bull. Yeah, and you have to use that Red Bull as currency to somehow transport yourself from where they dropped you off to Berlin. Right, and and on the way, like as you're doing it, you can use, let's say, you use two cans of Red Bull for a taxi ride or whatever, right. and you make it to different checkpoint cities. And every time you get to this checkpoint city, you receive points. So not only are you trying to get there quick, um, like I mean, on time within the seven day time trial, I guess, but it's not just how fast did you get there; it's how many points and how many right. experiences did you have along the way. So with that. You go basically you go, you hit checkpoint cities and you get a whole new case of Red Bull. Right. Um, and you get to maybe meet some new people that are also doing the challenge with you. Right. Um, and it's just going to be a lot of fun. Dude, I'm so excited. I, I like it doesn't feel real yet. Because like, think about it. They're dropping us off with nothing in yeah. the middle of Europe. Yeah, just a backpack. Like this isn't the other side of Dallas and we're trying to get back to DBU. Right. You know, like we could do that. It would be a bummer, but we could do that. We're trying to get across the continent of Europe. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be sweet. And. We know what you're thinking. They're what crazy. are we thinking? They're crazy. Yeah, you think you're you're thinking. What are you thinking, Zach and Coop and Jonathan? And well, we're thinking it's going to be fun. There's so. there's things that have been set up by Red Bull to help keep us safe. Mm-hmm. There are people that are going to be watching over us. Essentially, like a person that's assigned to our team, just 24 our team. hours. They give us a not our phone, but a phone that has access to like the Red Bull hotline or whatever it is. Right. So there are safety precautions. Yeah, but either way, it's going to be epic. Totally. And so and we're going to get to do it together. We're going to continue to keep you updated yeah. before we leave. 
And so that way you can, I don't know, follow along what, what, as we learn more details of what that looks like. Yeah, that's the other thing. We're, we're a year out. We're, we're, we have minor details. We right. don't have much. All we know is it's going to be awesome, and that's all we need to know right now. There's a website. Go to canyoumakeit.com, redbullcanyoumakeit.com. Yep. You can find our team, Texas Trio, yep. and look at our little bios and stuff. But, dude, we're excited. We are, we are pumped. Dude, that's going to be so fun. Yeah. I still can't believe we, one, made it, one, and get to go. Yeah. And, um... I think I think right when I get there, I'm going to put my feet on the European soil and yeah. say, Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, Coop McCullough. How are we? Doing good. You know, while I'm here, I do really appreciate the American soil. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. We'll just come out and say it's We're excited to come back to America after we leave Europe. We love Europe. We also love the Philippines. We do love the... Shout out Philippines. Shout out Philippines. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't know what we're talking about, we're number 15 on the business management chart in the Philippines. Yes. Just shout out. Go back to a previous episode to hear that. Yeah. Anyway, we got a great episode today, Coop. Um, Let me guess your new favorite. Well, yes. So, new favorite, April Sprints. Ooh. Sprints. I, I had to make sure I spell it right. S H P R I N T Z. Yeah. Sprints. That's a difficult one to say. I know. Thank you. Great job. So April and I got to talk a few a few days ago about leadership without titles. I think a lot of people, especially our generation, uh, we get caught up in the promotions, the job titles, the power, the accolades, the if accolades, you will. if you will. Thank you, Cooper. Yeah, you're welcome. And so the goal is to move up in a company is what we think. But we we, we really just talk about that leadership is what you're doing now. Yeah. And and you don't need a title lead. And we, we say it all the time is that that people would rat, people would follow someone with a heart before they follow someone with a title. Yeah. So we really got to ask April a lot of these questions. April is the creator of the generosity culture, just trying to coach businesses. She's a business accelerator. I met her on LinkedIn Shout and out LinkedIn. She's awesome. Like she's so fun. And and one thing that I talked to her about when we were off air, I was like, April, I don't think you said um once this really? whole time. Like she's one of the best communicators that I I think I've interviewed. That's awesome. And, and she said she gave me a little piece of advice. She said, Zach, every time you want to say um or you're thinking about saying um, take a breath. <sighs> take a breath. And, yeah. and I was like, I've actually been thinking about that and trying to apply that. But but April's awesome. And I don't I don't know if you have anything on on leadership without titles, Cooper. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great to wow, I'm literally thinking through everything. As like I'm, I almost said um, and I just was thinking. About I know. <laughs> no, yeah, I think it's great and important to understand that leadership doesn't necessarily come with the title. I think a lot of time a title is given based on the performance that you, I guess, carry out without the title. Right. Like I think leaders are recognized by what they do when they're not considered a leader by title, but just by action. And I think that's probably what she's going to be talking about to some extent. Right. And it doesn't matter where you are right now. If you're a student, if you're wiping the floors of a bathroom in a high school, you're a leader. Yeah. And, and it's important for you to know that you don't need to be the CEO. You don't need to pres- be the president to be a leader. You can lead right now. But love this conversation. Here she is, April Sprints. Sprints. Well, April, thank you so much for, for being on and answering some questions for us. Uh, I want you to start by introducing yourself. Who are you? What are you up to? And how did you get to where you are today? Sure. So my name is April Sprint. I am a business accelerator and a founder of Driven Outcomes, which is a company that accelerates other businesses. And I'm also the creator of the Generosity Culture, which is the foundation that my business is built upon and that I help other businesses businesses build in their companies so that by investing in their employees, their clients, and their community, they can have all the success they'd ever want. 
Wow. Well, I mean, that's just, that sounds amazing. And you have it down. Uh, generosity culture. What is that? What does that look like? How do you do that? And how do you implement that into businesses? So basically the generosity culture is the foundation I built my own life on. So when I was very young, around nine years old, there was a businesswoman who took an interest in me and she changed the entire trajectory of my life because she invested time in me as a person. Mm -hmm. And without realizing it, she also modeled for me the way that I would go about life and business. And I did it for years without even realizing it. And then when I started my own company and started helping other companies, whether I was helping turn around a business that was failing or helping a, a business really scale so that it could get much larger quickly, I realized that I was using those foundational principles, which is what, what I was talking about, just investing time and value in your employees, in your clients, and then in the community around you. And it's basically the idea that if you help enough other people, you'll have more success than you could ever want. Hmm. And I think that's what a lot of people miss is just the generosity culture. And I think it's, a, we live in kind of this greed culture, if you will. And then a lot mm -hmm. of businesses, a lot of even society needs to switch into this generosity culture. So I think you have a great message and I love the way that you portray it and that you, you put it out there, but that kind of leads into what we were talking about today. Mm -hmm. uh, this idea of leadership is not about titles, the difference between a leader and, and a boss. And, and I kind of want to just break that down. What comes to your mind first when you think of the difference between a leader and a boss or a leader and a manager as well? Okay. So the difference between a leader and a boss or manager is a leader inspires you to do right. things. You just want to. Right. A boss or manager, you do things because they told you to, and they're in a position of authority above you. Right. I think that's so good. And I think breakdown, inspire. How do leaders inspire? Because in the same sense that, that managers or bosses have to tell people stuff to do, leaders have to do that as well. But what mm -hmm. is the difference between when a leader gives instruction than when just a boss gives instruction? So when a leader gives instruction, what they're going to do first is they're going to share the vision for whatever mm -hmm. it is, whether it's the way the company is going to market or it's an initiative that you're doing in the company. They're going to share what it is that they're trying to accomplish with mm -hmm. you and get your buy-in. And when they get your buy-in on the vision, you can't help but want to be a part of it, want to participate and want to help in any way you can. Mm -hmm. And the big difference here is they don't have to be in a position of authority. They just have to be able to inspire others. Some of the best leaders tend to be in our own peer group and we right. don't even realize that we're just gravitating towards letting them lead us. Right. What Do you have any examples or any illustrations of ways that leaders communicate vision so well that it makes it attractive and so people gravitate toward that or, or any tips of how to do that well? Well, I think part of it is that a leader innately is inspired by whatever it is they're asking people to do. One thing that you'll notice with a manager or boss is they'll say, hey, we have to do this. Mm -hmm. Even if a leader isn't wholly vested in what it is that they're trying to do, they will find something that they can believe in and get behind so that they can share that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that they do is they actually understand their people. They take the time to talk with them, to know who they are. So they innately then know based on what's important to the individual they're talking to, what is the best way to communicate what we're doing so that it also resonates with them. 
Mm, that is so good. I think that is a huge part of where bosses and leaders or, or where bosses miss it and leaders get it is the right. idea of understanding your people and mm-hmm. leaders understand the people they're leading. And like you even said, some of the greatest leaders are the people right next to you and the peers. They're not necessarily the position. That's what we're talking about. That leadership is not necessarily a title, but it's more of a lifestyle right. or a way of life. So if you are that leader, you feel this leadership tug, you feel uh, mm-hmm. just the pull of leadership, but you're not in the position necessarily to quote unquote lead or be the boss, what advice would you give to lead out or what would you say to lead out in that way? So I think that when you're in that position, that's actually the best grooming for servant leadership. If you've ever heard of that, of course. where it's understanding what you're all trying to do and helping in whichever way you can. I think a, a good leader never ask someone to do something they wouldn't be willing to do themselves. Mm -hmm. And a great training ground for that is when you're not in an official leadership position. And for me personally, a lot of my time spent in corporate America, I wasn't officially a leader. So it would be more a manner of influencing people and helping them understand what we were trying to do and helping them in ways that made them then want to be a part of this whole and this goal that we had. And really it it is just a, a matter of giving to start with in a way that's meaningful to those other folks because then they can't help but give back. Right. And then it goes back to the generosity culture that you try and champion or that you cultivate Mm -hmm. in businesses. And I think you said in there, the keyword influence, something you said in there. So what do influential leaders have that other say bosses don't have? What's, what is that kind of it factor, the, the X factor that leaders have that influence people rather than just make people do X, Y, or Z? I think they offer value. I think that they are just innately the kind of people that want to do things for others. So they're not takers. And you you actually mentioned very early on when we were talking that it seems to be a society where it's all about what you get. Right. That I think is the difference. A manager wants to get performance, get tasks done, get things from you. A leader wants to know what they can give you to make you successful. Mm, just the giving versus getting kind of the push and pull uh, diaphragm there of, of leaderships versus bosses. I want to go back to something that I wanted to ask you about at the beginning and, and kind of this idea of power. And uh-huh. you said there's a lot of leadership with influence when you don't have the position, but it seems like whenever someone is promoted, they're, they're given the promotion, they move up in the company or they become the boss of this certain area. That's when it sort of goes downhill and, and it starts becoming a boss rather than becoming a leader. So what mm-hmm. kind of happens psychologically with someone whenever they receive a promotion? Cause to me, it kind of seems like, like insecurity comes out and, and mm-hmm. they start leading through an insecurity and, and start telling people what to do kind of to protect themselves rather than simply leading and influencing people. So what does the, the relationship between power and promotion is what I'm trying to get at. So Zach, you, you asked a bunch of questions. I know. I'm so sorry. Questions. I was kind of so rambling. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, no, it was fantastic stuff. So I'm going to try and unpack it. And if I miss okay. anything, you tell me. So of the course. first thing is power and promotions. I don't think they're anything more than an amplifier. Hmm. And I actually feel the same way about money when people will say, oh, money's evil or money turns someone to this or that or power corrupts people. I don't think right. so. I think power, promotion, all of those things amplify who they already are. So if the person's already a good, influential person, they're just going to be more so because they're going to have more opportunity to impact other people because now they're also in an official capacity as an authority. 
However, if you promote someone, and I feel like this happens way more than it should, we find someone who's really good at an individual skill. And because they're so good at that, we say, oh, you should lead others. Mm -hmm. Instead of identifying that some people are craftsmen, if you will, Mm -hmm. they're going to be the most amazing, let's put it in sports, they're going to be the most amazing basketball player, but they're never going to be a great basketball coach because they had such innate skill that they couldn't break it down and teach it to somebody else. It comes Mm -hmm. naturally for them. And I think in corporate America, the military is the same way. People tend to get promoted because they performed well in a role that doesn't indicate they'd be good at leading other people to do it. Mm -hmm. So then to your point, they get in that leadership role and they're worried about messing up because they feel like they're an imposter. They feel like, I'm not really a good leader. I don't know why I'm here. And then you start seeing them acting out of a a place of fear, which is I need to tell people to do as much as possible because I don't want anyone to find out I'm not really qualified to be here. And I think that's what you see. So that's why you could promote two different people into the same position and they react totally differently. Mm, Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I I want to kind of break down what you're talking about as someone being a great basketball player, but not necessarily being able to coach because that's kind of opposite of what you would think to be true. I I agree with you is if I think so-and-so is a great basketball player, they should be able to teach it. So when you're looking for leaders or you're searching for leaders, how do you discern who is a good craftsman and who is a good leader? So to me, I am always looking at people's attitude and I, I actually value attitude far more than skill. I can teach a skill, no problem, or I can find someone to teach you a skill. So I can see leadership characteristics in people very early on, and it really has nothing to do with how good they are at their job. To me, here's what I'm looking for. Let's say in a sales organization, for example, obviously it's table stakes that they're meeting their quota. But are they having a vested interest in if the rest of the team meets their quota too? Because that's a leader. Now, a great craftsman, if you will, is that person that's always meeting their quota but isn't offering to help others. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not someone I would put in a leadership role. And I think that one thing that would really improve corporate organizations is if people were allowed to self-identify, hey, I'm really good at my job. And I want to keep doing my job for the next 20 or 30 years. I don't really want to lead other people doing it. If there was a way that we could support that individual and not penalize them for not moving up, if you will, we would have healthier organizations overall because we'd be honoring what people's skill sets really were. And it even seems like you came back to the idea of servant leadership, of, mm-hmm. of leaders serve. So I, I want to hone in on that because I, I feel like... I don't think there's any other kind. To me, yeah. leadership <laughs> and leadership are one and the same. I totally get it. people seem to know servant leadership better. Right. Absolutely. And I think servant leadership even is, is say, a buzzword that people would use, but don't necessarily yeah. know how it plays out. You know, it's like mm-hmm. service, servant leadership, I'm supposed to say do this to serve them. But what it, when you break it down, what is servant leadership at its, at its core? So I would say this. So early in your career, when it's just you, everything is all about your success, hmm. your ability to create, to move up, to do things so that you have an amazing career. Right. When you become a leader, now it's about everyone else. Everything you do should be about empowering and helping the people that you're leading. And that's what I mean by servant leadership, right? It's not about you anymore. It's not that different from being a parent. It now becomes more about enabling the people that you're responsible for. 
Right. And, and adding value to people like what you were talking about earlier. And, and it seems like the greatest leaders, and, and we know this to be true, that the greatest leaders leave a legacy by the person who takes their spot goes further than them. So kind of break that down because so many, I think that's where so many leaders miss it, where I'm, I'm leading a corporation, I'm a CEO. And honestly, my selfish desire is when I leave this company, I want it to fail. I would never say that obviously, because I want to feel needed. Therefore, I'm not training someone to replace me, if that makes sense. And so what is the value in that and training someone to replace you and take it further? Because you're thinking of others more than just yourself and say, wanting to be needed. So the person that does that, that wants something to fall apart when they leave, that's, that's ego and insecurity. And right. ego is, is born from insecurity, right? That's someone who doesn't understand their value. And that's why they would even entertain that idea. Now, the value of training someone and letting it be even better when you leave based on the systems and processes and culture that you've developed, that's legacy. And what you'll find is with people who are early in their career, they have certain goals that they want to meet, certain financial goals, certain career goals, even entrepreneurs. But as you get further in your career, when you have all the money that you want, right, you, right. You, beyond, you know, if you want to buy a country or something like that, but you right. have all the money to get the things that you want, you've achieved a lot in your career. People start thinking about legacy and your legacy is leaving wherever you were and wherever you worked and the people you worked with better than you found them. Mm-hmm. And that is far more fulfilling than thinking, oh, it couldn't operate without me. Right. That, that's so good. And I think that's where so many people, people miss it. And so um, what would you say to the person who's sitting in a sales job, mm-hmm. but then is promoted to, to say the manager of, of the room, of, of the mm-hmm. sales room? What would you say, how would you, what advice would you give them to lead that room or to lead that organization without falling into the insecurities of promotion or or leading out of insecurity? Or what would you say to the person who is feeling insecure about their leadership opportunity? So the first thing I'd say is it's always challenging when you are promoted to lead a group that you had been peers with, Mm. especially if there are other people in the group who thought that they were going to get the promotion or people who perhaps have more experience than you do. They're older, whatever it is, right? That's, that's a tough spot. I, when I've been in those kinds of situations and the, the same advice that I'd give others is be candid about it. Be like, look, I'm really excited to be your leader, but I don't want you to think that the fact that I am quote unquote untrue in charge means that you don't have a really valuable input. And candidly, I think all of you could help me be better. Mm-hmm. So this is my, let's say my, it's their first, this is my first leadership position and I'm going to do the best that I can. I welcome your feedback. Mm-hmm. I welcome your input about things that we can do better because I see myself as a player coach. I may officially be the leader, but I'm only as good as we perform as a team. So you mm-hmm. tell me how I can help you. And if there's an area where you think that I could do better or I'm falling short, I welcome that feedback because I want to be better. I want to do whatever I can do to help all of you. Yeah. I love that. The idea of welcoming feedback, which Mm -hmm. is also something that's hard for leaders, especially young leaders, because we see it as criticism. So how do we, how do we break apart criticism and feedback and how do we accept feedback? Well, so again, that's really personal. When people feel it as criticism, when a leader feels feedback is criticism, that's actually about the leader. 
It's not about the other person. So what you need to do is, and you may not be able to do it in the moment, but certainly once you're by yourself, you need to break that down and say, okay, what about that made me feel defensive? What fear did that tap into that I have? What what is my reaction coming from? Because feedback is always value, valuable. Right. I joke that feedback is the gift that keeps on giving Right. because you can get better. You can have a, a more in-depth relationship with whoever gave you the feedback mm. and you can just do lots and lots of great things with it. So when you feel and that defensiveness and that ego coming up when someone gives you feedback, the first thing I would recommend is that someone remind themselves, this is not about them. This mm. is about me and try and react as neutrally as possible, even if they don't feel neutral. But then go back and unpack, what is it that made me feel so defensive? What fear does that play into? And chances are, it is some fear and insecurity they have that has nothing to do with the other person. And if they don't feel like they can do it by themselves, do it with someone else that you trust and that you're willing to be vulnerable around. I think it's important as a leader to be vulnerable with your people. But sometimes when you're doing that inner work, you don't want to broadcast that to everyone. So having someone that you trust that you can say, hey, did I overreact to this? How would you have felt? That can be really valuable too. I think trust is huge too. When you're able to accept feedback and even apply it to your leadership, it it gives you trust of the room and it gains the trust of the people you're leading. And I think trust really gives you permission to lead. And I think that's a big difference between bosses and leaders is they don't necessarily trust the boss, but when they look at a leader, they see someone that they can trust. So how do you cultivate trust within an organization or within those you lead? Well, Zach, I think you just said it. I think you said it yourself. Like when they take that feedback, when they implement those suggestions, when they say they're wrong, you know, I was was actually just talking with a, I was interviewing a salesperson for a friend. And I, one of the questions I always ask people when I interviewed them is, how would you answer if a prospect or client asked you a question and you had no idea? Hmm. Right. And they're like, deer in the headlights. And depending on their background, they tell me how they would answer it. I'll tell you the right way to answer it. The right way is, that is a great question. I don't know the answer to it, but I'm going to find it out for you. And I love that we're going to learn this together. And the same thing as a leader, when you admit that you don't know or that you're wrong and you just show yourself to be human in that way, everything that you do know everything that you are right about all of a sudden has so much more credibility because you're willing to admit when that's not the case. And I think that as a leader, that is one of the ways that we really build trust. Obviously, you want to show up for people. You want to help them. You want to do what you say you'll do. But it is crucial to be that person that says, gosh, I don't know. Or gosh, that's a great piece of feedback. Zach, I'm so glad you shared that. I've been doing this for 20 years and I've never thought of that. That's amazing. Right? If we were working together, our relationship just changed because I valued you. I recognized you. And I shared with everybody that I didn't know that yet. Hmm. Right? Yeah. And it was that transparency piece while also empowering the person that you receive feedback from. So I think empowerment is another kind of road I want to go down with you Mm -hmm. uh, of how do you empower people well? And what does it look like? Because I think empower is another uh, buzzword, if you will. It's like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to empower as a leader. But like, when, it, when you break it down, what are the nuts and bolts of empowering people? 
So I think that that's a very individual thing. The way that I would empower you might be different than the way that someone would empower me. But again, it goes back to that investing time in your people and understanding who they are and what they want. You may have two different people on your team and one person really wants to be in leadership and one person really wants to learn, say, public speaking. You'd empower those two people differently. And basically what you do is give them opportunities to succeed at the things that are important to them. Hmm. and give them leeway. I I think you hire good people and you don't micromanage them. You let them do their thing. They will make mistakes because we all do, but we'll all learn from that and go forward. So that's how I would approach that. Yeah, that's good. And I think it even plays into delegating as well as how you delegate authority versus delegating tasks. So what does it look like to genuinely delegate authority and not micromanage what they're doing? I think when you're genuinely delegating authority, again, you're letting someone own the whole thing mm-hmm. and it's their baby. So you go with it, you go and, and do what you think is best and then bring it back to me and we'll discuss how well that went. And I think some leaders, the, the ones that, well, not really, leaders are usually really good at delegating. Managers are usually really bad at it because they feel like they have to micromanage to make sure it gets done right. Mm-hmm. And I think another important part is to know that done differently than you would do it doesn't mean it's not done right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. And that's something a lot of leaders miss or your bosses, if you will, miss. What, do you, what would you say to the person who is a bad delegator in the sense they don't delegate anything and mm-hmm. they, they simply, they're hard workers, they, they go hard, they get stuff done, but stuff still falls off the plate and they're not using all of their players in the right pieces because they're doing everything. What would you say to that person? I think the thing that I would point out to them is that not only that comes from a place of insecurity of I've got to do it all and also a place of maybe people have let them down in the past and they think I'm the only person that can do this. Mm -hmm. What I would share with them is that taking the time and going through the process of teaching other folks to do these things and allowing them to do it will make them that much more capable and make them that much more effective, not efficient, effective in in getting all the different things done. And I usually find that that's a really personal thing with people. They do it in their entire life, not just at work. They take Mm. on everything. And then those are also the people usually crash. So that's the highly efficient person that gets so much stuff done, but about once a quarter, they're in your office crying because they're completely overwhelmed by everything they've taken on. So when I've worked with folks like that, bit by bit, I've kind of helped them kind of, they're kind of gripping everything like this. And it's like, let's take this finger off. Okay. Right. Yeah. Next month we'll take this finger off. Look, <laughs> we're still on the bike. It's good. Nothing has crashed. Yeah. So it's again, an individualized approach for folks, but helping them little by little adapt to what is going to be a lot more successful of a process for them. Yeah, I think that's huge. And I, I think just the main point we want to get at, at out of this whole episode of this whole conversation is that you do not need a title. You do not need a position to say you're a leader. You do no, not. No. So what would you say to the 20 year old person who's listening to this, this podcast? Really, what we love asking all of our leaders that we get to interview and talk to is what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? If you're able to look at 20-year-old April in the face and say, just give her some advice, what would you say to to the 20-year-old listener? Uh, I would say it is not a race. Hmm. It is not a race. It is a marathon, Right. right? And 
it's so funny because people say that and it sounds so cliche and people said it to me when I was young and I was like, whatever, I am totally in a race with everyone. Right. But the fact is that the only person that matters in your career, in your life, in your anything is you versus the person you were yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I used to try and get to wherever I was going as fast as possible. And I missed things. There were things that it's like, have you ever gotten uh, like a, a candy bar or a cookie and it was so good you gobbled it up and you're like I forgot to taste it yeah totally life can be like that right so there people say enjoy the you know life is the journey not the the destination there is more fun in the experience of getting there than you will ever feel amazingness in once you're there so going there slowly or at a different pace than someone else or not in the same order as someone else I've done that my entire life, all of those things I just mentioned. Mm. And those are the best parts of my career. Those were the best parts of my life. The things that didn't work out, the things that took longer than I thought they would, the things that were different than what I expected. Those are the parts that I enjoyed the most. Yeah, that's so good. It is not, it is a marathon. Take your time, take it slow. And you don't need a title to lead people, influence people, serve people, bring value to the team, listen, take feedback, trust. There's so many things I got from this. I I could just go through all my notes, but April, thank you so much for your time. This was so beneficial. My pleasure, Zach. Thank you. 